Well, welcome back, John and Jennifer. How are you? Former members, they've been gone for a time. For How long have you been gone? A year and a half. Welcome back. Good to see you guys. Okay, so we are going to be in 1 John chapter 4, returning to our study that we were in a couple of weeks ago. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, looking at verses 20 through chapter 5, verse 5, and this is a two-parter. So we actually started this message a couple of weeks prior. You can get that message online. This is going to be part two. I'll do a little bit of review. And if you're using one of those blue church Bibles, you can turn to page 1023. That'll bring you right to the section that we're going to be studying. Hi, Nathan. Good to see you, too. Good to see all of you. How was your Christmas? Good, was it? Did you get everything you wanted? Oh, wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. So how many of you got out of the Christmas season without any debt? So none of you bought presents, those of you. <laughs> no, good. Well, let's take a look at the word this morning. We are, you can open up your bulletin and look inside. You'll find an outline that you can use to follow along. The title of this message is Inseparable. Again, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you're familiar with this. If you weren't, then I would encourage you to go online and maybe listen to the message from a couple of weeks ago. Inseparable is what I've titled it, and I define this, and I'll define it again. It means always together, unable to be separated, so closely linked as to be impossible to consider separately. So closely linked as impossible to be considered separately. So you'll all see how that applies to our message today in a moment. Throughout this letter, as we've been working our way through 1 John, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, We've seen the Apostle John repeatedly making the point that there are certain things, beloved, that should be true to one degree or another of those who are truly Christians, authentic Christians, real, genuine Christians. Things like love for other Christians and obedience to God and ongoing faith in Jesus as the Christ. In this particular section of 1 John that we're looking at right now, the Apostle John brings together biblical faith, love, and obedience. He brings them together as three things that are inseparable for any person who claims or truly has a saving relationship with the one true God through Jesus Christ. In other words, what John is doing is he's telling his readers that the authentic Christian, not the fake one, the authentic Christian will believe the truth about who Jesus really is. Additionally, the authentic Christian will love God and his brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, the authentic Christian will have a life marked or characterized By obedience to God, not rebellion, not rebellion. All three of these things together will be a reality for the true Christian. You won't have one without the other. They are inseparable. So now let's look at the text together. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Follow along as I read from God's word. It says, John writing here, if anyone says, I love God. And hates his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. Cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. 
So this morning we're going to consider, this is what we're doing, we're going to consider the truth that biblical faith, love, and obedience cannot be separated for the genuine Christians so that we might understand why true believers actually overcome the world. Now the four points, and we've covered the last two previously, the four points are love for God and love for other Christians are inseparable. Faith in Jesus and love for the Father and His children are inseparable. Number three, love and obedience to God are inseparable. And number four, obedience to God and faith in Jesus are inseparable. Two weeks ago, we looked at points one and two. And let me just summarize those for you, just as a way of reminder, if you weren't here to help you out. We saw from the text that Anyone who claims to be loving God, to say, I love God, which is in the present tense. It means they are in the act of doing it, continuing. They are loving God. Anyone who claims that and yet at the same time consistently hates his brothers or her brothers or sisters in Christ by repeatedly refusing to love them cannot be a true lover of God. They cannot be, beloved. In other words, they cannot be genuine Christians because their visible actions demonstrate that they do not have an authentic relationship with God who is love. Who is love. How can we know that? Well, God not only fills his children's hearts with love for him, okay, We love because he first loved us. He not only fills our hearts with love for him, but he he also gives to his children, to Christians, to those who have been born again, through the Holy Spirit that indwells them, the ability and desire to sacrificially love one another. And then he commands them to do just that, love. Additionally, we learned that those who continually believe in Jesus as the Christ, that is, those who go on believing the truth about who Jesus really is, they give evidence to the fact that they have been born again. Born of God. And those who have been born again, beloved, will love God who gave them this new life, and they will also love others who possess that very same life. That is the other members of God's family. Their brothers and sisters, spiritually speaking, in Jesus Christ. That's what we looked at last week. And I just want to pick up briefly, quickly. I was applying that text. Oh, not last week, a couple of weeks ago. I keep saying that. I was applying that text, and I just want to pick up where I left off. I was talking about how we can love one another. I want to mention just a couple of things. What are some ways that we can love the children of God, other Christians specifically? There are many ways, but let me give a few that are very close to home. Growth groups. Growth groups, beloved. Maybe you don't know what those are. Maybe you do because you've been here a while, but we have, we're going to start back up with our growth groups. Let me explain. Growth groups are designed for you to enter in, to engage with the body of Christ, to to live life on life with another brother or sister in Christ, to hear their cries, to hear their joys, to pray with them, to learn with them, to encourage them, to instruct them. All of those things occur in the context of growth groups. These opportunities where we meet just twice a month to get together in someone's home with other believers in Jesus Christ or other people who attend this church, and to love them. It is a practical, real, and tangible way to love the body of Christ. So I want to encourage you, if you are not part of one of these growth groups or you never have been or you have not signed up yet, I want to encourage you, this is one way that you could get involved. By the way, the table, it was mentioned earlier, the table is our our private social network where we interact with one another, where we can keep track of one another. 
Beloved, let me just explain something. On Sunday morning, a lot of love happens, okay? A lot of people sacrificially come in and serve. If they didn't, this wouldn't occur. Because this is not Jeremy's show. I could never do all of this. It's a lot of people working to make this happen. But I want to encourage you to go another level. Because we can serve here and love here. And then we can leave, but we may not ever really get involved in one another's lives. Never really be able to encourage one another, walk alongside each other. That is what happens or takes place in the context of growth groups. So I just want to encourage you strongly to consider that. If we are commanded to love one another, and we are loving one another, and we desire to love one another, then why wouldn't we seek out every opportunity that's given to us to do exactly that? Why wouldn't we do that? I think we would. And table's just another way to do that. Do you know prayer requests are listed throughout the week? Many of you probably are not aware of them. If you're not on the table or you're not looking at the table, maybe you're on it. But I want to encourage you to get not only plug into the table, if you're a regular attender, but to begin to check it, begin to look at it, and begin to interact with it. It's just another tangible way to carry out the command that God has given us to love one another. That's really what it is. So let's look at point three. Love and obedience to God are inseparable. Love and obedience to God are inseparable. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. Beginning in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Stop right there. In verse 1... So this is verse 2 and 3. In verse 1, John wrote that everyone who loves the Father also loves whoever has been born of him. Or to put it another way, everyone who loves God also loves the children of God. Which means other Christians. That's what it means. Now it appears as if John anticipated and wanted to answer the question... Well, how do I know that I am truly loving the children of God? And so we see here in verse 2, John writes, Okay, by this. So I've told you, everyone who loves the Father also loves those who are born of the Father, those who are children of God, those that are Christians. Well, how might I know that I'm doing that? By this we know, verse 2, that we love the children of God. By what, John? By what do we know that we love the children of God? He says, when we love God and obey his commandments. What does that mean? Well, that's a good question. This section actually is a little challenging to understand, and there are some slightly different opinions about exactly what John intended when he wrote that statement. But after looking at all of it, And looking through the passage and studying it, I believe that he is communicating that when we simultaneously, at the same time, love God and obey him, at the same time, or to put it another way, when we find that our obedience to God flows out of our loving him, when we find that our obedience to God flows out of our loving him, rather than just obeying him as some sense of duty or obligation, then we can know that we are truly loving the children of God as God has commanded us. And John had just referred to in a few verses earlier in chapter 4, verse 21, when he wrote, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also Love his brother, which is a reference to other Christians. So let me say it another way. This is a difficult passage. Love for the children of God can only truly occur and be experienced by us as Christians when we are loving God and as a result of that love, we willingly and gladly obey him by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. One writer says it this way, when we love God, we will keep his commands. When we love God, we will keep his commands. 
which also involves having love for others. One writer adds this note. John gives the reader a statement that consists of three parts. Love for the children of God, love for God, and obedience to his commands. Now listen, if any part of the statement is to be valid, true, it has to be linked to the other two parts. They are bound together. They are inseparable. So let me try to explain it this way. Our Christian love for one another must be tied, for it to be true and real, it must be tied to our love for God and obedience to his commands. Or our love for God, if it is real, if it is true, if it is valid, must be tied to obedience to his commands and love for one another. Or to say it a third way, our obedience to God, if it is true and real, authentic obedience, must be tied to love for one another and to love for God. One writer says this, love for God's children stems or grows out of or from love for God, which is inseparable from obedience to God. Now, what I want to point out in all of this is the fact, simple fact, that love and true obedience to God, according to the Apostle John, are inseparable. They are so closely linked, it is impossible to consider them separately. They're inseparable. And in verse 3, John goes on to give a further explanation regarding his statement about love and obedience that we found in verse 2. Look back at the text, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. John says this, For this is the love of God. What is it, John? That we keep His commandments. Beloved, we cannot, we dare not, Separate the love of God and the keeping of his commandments. To love God, listen to me, to love God is to be obedient to him. To love God is to be obedient to him. The one who genuinely loves God is the one who continually desires and strives to obey him to one degree or another. And they actually do. Not perfectly, okay? Please. We, I say this every time, just to make sure you, you understand where I'm coming from. Obviously not perfectly. Who has ever obeyed God perfectly? Jesus Christ. Just in case you were wondering, there is one. Our perfect representative, Jesus Christ. But no man or woman on the planet who has ever lived has obeyed God perfectly, but there is something or there should be something different about the people of God. They are striving, they are desiring, they are wanting to obey the one whom they love. And so progressively, more and more over a lifetime, that is what occurs for the true Christian. Year after year, they give themselves more and more to God in obedience. They might have setbacks. They will certainly still have sin. But progressively, more and more, they're giving themselves to the one they love. In the second chapter of 1 John, we looked at this in verse 3. John writes this. I'm just going to remind you of this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. He says, And by this we know that we have come to know him. He's not talking about, I've said this before, but he's not talking about knowing about God. Many people know about God. That's not what John means. Know him implies a personal knowledge, a relationship. Okay? Like you know your wife or you know your husband. It's that kind of knowledge. Intimate. By this we know that we have come to actually know him, God, if we keep his commandments. Then we know we know him. Because, I'll get to that in a second. He goes on in verse 4. Whoever says I know him. Hey, I know God. I have a personal relationship with him. But does not keep his commandments is a 
a liar. They're not telling the truth. Because the truth is not in them. They are self-deceived maybe. Certainly deceiving. That's what the word of God says. The one who knows God, beloved, the one who has a personal personal relationship with him, as we have learned in 1 John, is the same one who will truly love God. You start to see the connections. The one who knows God is the same one. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. This is not some general statement. He's talking about The love of God poured out on the Christian that they have received, that salvific love that has brought them to Christ, who has caused them to bow before God and call upon Him in mercy. And because of that love that they have experienced, they now love God. And as a result of that, that is the same one who will ultimately be known as a determined and delightful keeper of his commandments. A determined and delightful keeper of his commandments. Or to say it another way, as a cheerful doer of his word. That's the Christian. Now, sin gets in there. You know, sin messes this all up. Sin distorts this picture on a regular basis. But as a pattern of life, this will be true progressively for the Christian. One writer says this, speaking of Christians, we do because we love. Christian love does not ask, must I? You don't like your kids? You ask them to do something? Oh, do I have to? If you want to live here, yes, if you, you, you have to. If you don't want to die right now, yes, you have to. I don't really mean that. I've got to be careful what I say, you know, because there's so much abuse that goes on in our world today. But it doesn't ask, must I? It asks, may I? It does not count the cost, but it weighs the privilege of being able to do for the one I love. The one who poured out his love on me to such a degree that I can't help but love him. In return. And because I love him, I want to do what he asks of me. Beloved, if someone stubbornly continues, hear me, if someone stubbornly sticks to living in disobedience to God, no repentance, no desire to turn away from their sinful ways, just I don't care, and yet they want to believe or say that they are loving God. Okay, then based on first John, they can be assured from the word of God that they are delusional. They are self-deceived. For the love of God and obedience to him are absolutely inseparable. Do you understand? You understand what it's saying there in the word of God? Oh, people might say a lot of things, beloved. You might hear a lot of things. Maybe you've even said them. But according to the word of God, here's the truth. Those who truly are loving God will desire and long to live for him and be obedient to him. And those who don't, they aren't loving God. That's what 1 John is saying. That's what what the apostle is trying to make clear. But I want to add this when I use that word disobedience, those who are living in disobedience. Don't think that it only, when you hear that word disobedience, don't think like we often do, that it only relates to doing the things that God tells us not to, like lying or stealing. Okay, it certainly includes that. But rather, in the context of 1 John, when you hear the word disobedience, you should also think that it is about not doing the things that God has told us to. Like sacrificially loving one another by investing our very lives and our time into our brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you get that? Listen, there are many ways to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, but refusing to do it at all is a strong indication, 
according to 1 John, of not being a Christian at all. And if you are a Christian, one who is loving God, then there should be a desire to live in even greater obedience to Him. To love others even more. Right? We don't, there's not like a cap here where we go, okay, I'm obedient. I've reached this level of love. I'm good. What is that? That's not love. That's not God love. God's love is infinite. And He pours His love out on us, in us, so that we can pour it out through others. So if we are loving God and we've experienced His love, then we will have a desire to never stop or to never be satisfied in our love for one another. See, we are too easily satisfied. We are too easily content. That's the problem. We are too easily content with where we are in our love for one another. And that's not the kind of love that Christians should have for one another. And by the way, as we seek out to love one another, this should have an impact on the decisions that we make in our life about how or what we do with our time and our resources. Can I get, you know, real personal with you here? Real, like, dive in, drill in a little bit? Can I do that with you? Okay, you gave me permission, so for the rest of you. This is what that means, beloved, in real life, okay? I see people, I've done this too, so I'm guilty of all these things that I'm going to talk about, Okay? They're not really thinking about loving others sacrificially. They're really kind of, because of sin, they're just in love with themselves or whatever. Maybe there's a different motivation. I don't know. But they will commit themselves to all kinds of things that suck away their time and make it absolutely impossible for them to spend time with the body of Christ. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if I get too specific, you're going to think I, I'm talking about you specifically, but I'm not. I'm not thinking of anyone specifically. All right, I'll get specific. So, like families, right? Kids, we put our kids into sports events. I think that's great. But then we put them into so many sports events that we don't have any time left in our calendar to engage with the body of Christ. Beloved, that's not loving one another. You think that's loving your kids. I don't, maybe it is. I don't even want to get into that discussion. But it certainly leaves you no time to love one another. You've got to think those things through. How about this? People buy and purchase homes that they can't afford. Then they have to work like crazy. Both husband and wife and the kids as soon as they get old enough. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just want to let you know. To pay that mortgage that hangs over their head. Maybe it's, not a, maybe it's not a house. Maybe it's cars. Maybe it's just stuff. Maybe it's this Christmas. You buy stuff you shouldn't have bought. You go in way over your head. And you know what you got to do now? I got to work overtime. Jeremy, I don't have time for growth groups. I don't have time for men's ministry, women's ministry. I don't have time to get on the table. You don't know how busy I am. Why are you so busy? I got to work. Why you got to work? I got to pay bills. Okay. And maybe, maybe you're, hey, listen, maybe you live in a tiny little mortgage. See how I did that? Tiny little mortgage. Maybe you live in a tiny mortgage and you don't have, and you're just trying to survive. There's people like that too. They're, they didn't buy above their means. They're just trying to get by because the pay is so poor. I get all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people that willfully, they didn't think. They made a decision. We're going to buy this house. We're going to buy this car. And then because of that, we're going to have to work our brains out. Do you see what I'm talking about? Now, over time, beloved, guilty of all those things. Over time, beloved, over time, by God's dear grace, I've systematically, I'm not even arrived in any way, but systematically been working every time I make a decision to think, how will that impact the body of Christ? How will buying this thing impact the body of Christ? Will it take me away from them? How will my commitment to this thing impact the body of Christ? Will it take me away from them? Will I still have time to serve them? to love them, to have them over, to care for them. You see? When we get there, when we're all thinking that way, wow, the impact it will have on this body of Christ. So just do with that what you want. Now look at the last four points. 
or the first, I'm going to just review the four points again, and then we'll look at the last one. Love for God and love for other Christians are inseparable. Two, faith in Jesus and love for the Father and his children are inseparable. Three, love and obedience to God are inseparable. Four, obedience to God and faith in Jesus are inseparable. Now look back at the text with me. First John chapter 5, we're looking at the second part of verse 3. There John writes, and his commandments... You know, the ones that we are to keep, that we desire to keep because we love God, they are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John writes that the keeping of God's commandments should not be a burden to us. Okay, that's what it says, implying that his commandment should not be something that brings us grief or causes us grief. The original Greek word there that's used burdensome can mean a heavy load that is very difficult to bear. A heavy load that is very difficult to bear. Now, why is it that the commandments of God are not a burden or should not be a burden for the Christian? Why should Christians be willing and able to keep them and get this, even delight in doing so? Okay, You know what I'm talking about, the difference? You know, sometimes, like your kids. If you have kids, you can relate to all this stuff right away. Because you ask your kids to do something, but they have no delight in doing it. They think it is the biggest burden that they have ever experienced in their life when you say, clean your room. Right? Oh, my goodness, the end of the world for me, right? No delight, grieve, burdensome, and they may do it, but the whole time. And if they're smart, they don't make any noise when they're doing that. You know what I'm talking about. Why, though, in the case of God and his commands to us, why do Christians do them are happy to do them and do not consider them a burden or a heavy load. It's right there in verse 4. When he says for, you can think of the word because. Look back at the text, verse 4. For, this is why they're not burdensome. For or because everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is good, beloved. Stay with me. I'm going to explain this. This is good. We're going to break this down. What is the world, okay, that John refers to that everyone born of God overcomes? What is that? Well, guess what? It is the same world that John mentioned in chapter 2, verse 15. So I want you to go back there and look at it for a second. We went through this passage, but I want you to just look at it again. It's the same world. It's the same idea. It's the same concept. Chapter 2, just flip to your left, verse 15. And there we read this, speaking to the Christian. Christian, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why is that true, John? Well, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, it is not from the Father but it is from the world. And the world, it is passing away. It is passing away. Along with its desires. Along with all of its sin. But whoever does the will of God, they abide, they live, they remain forever. And John adds to that in chapter 3, verse 13, another thought about the world he reminds the christians hey do not be surprised brothers that the world hates you okay all of those ideas about the world is exactly what john is talking about here in chapter five when he says everyone who has been born of god overcomes the world the world that is overcome by every person born of god by every christian true christian is primarily the wicked system that has been and continues to be hostile to the one true God, 
to his son, Jesus Christ, to his children, and to his word, or the Bible. That is the world that John is referring to. It is the Bible, beloved. Now, we're going to connect all this. It is the Bible that contains his commands, God's commands and instructions for his children. Those who are in love with the world, okay? Those who embrace the world, those who are part of the world, they dislike and detest God's word. They hate it. They loathe it. They want nothing to do with it. They refuse to let God's word have its proper place in their lives, to have absolute authority over them. Listen, they may have a Bible in their home, but it sits somewhere on a shelf. It's a decoration, not a proclamation to them of God's words to them. So just because they, they, they have a Bible in their home doesn't mean they love the word of God. They may detest it. They despise God, the world, the people of the world, those who love the world. They despise God and they ultimately reject his loving rule over him. You shall not rule over me. I am the captain of my own ship. I am the king of my destiny. No God is their cry. To them, God's commandments are burdensome. They consider them as a heavy load that they cannot and they do not want to bear. The world mocks, beloved, it mocks and despises God's word. You ever been on the internet? They mock God's word. They label it all as foolishness. You ever been around the water cooler at work? Around those who are of the world? They scorn it. They make jokes about it. They despise it. But everyone born of God, you know what? They overcome this evil world and its perverse attitude toward God's word, toward toward his children, toward his son Jesus Christ. Why? Because they have been born of God. That's why. That is why. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. One writer says this. It's so important. It is not the man, but his birth from God, which conquers, which overcomes. It's not us, beloved. It's not our power. It's not our strength. But it is God who has given new life to us that causes us to overcome the sin of this world, and even our own sin. As a result of being supernaturally born of God, Christians, beloved, will love God and His Word. Okay? They will. Again, sin distorts this. Sin gets in the way. That's why the Christian life is one of constant repentance. Continuing to say, oh my goodness, Lord, rid me of this. Or I want to love you in purity and holiness. I want to be all yours. But yet I still find this this sin at work in me. But Christians will have a pattern life of loving God and his word. And guess what? They are empowered by God then to fulfill his commands. Motivated by their love for him, they will desire and long to do all that he asks of them. True Christians, beloved, hear me. True Christians, authentic Christians, genuine Christians. And we're confused because everyone calls themselves Christians. So when I say things like this, it doesn't make sense. You go, well, I know Bob and I know Jane and I know, and they all say they're Christian and they're not like this. Listen, just let the word of God speak. Let the word of God rule in your hearts and in your minds. According to 1 John, true Christians will love God. They will love his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and they will love God's adopted children. Every person who has called upon Christ as their Lord and Savior and through that become a child of God. And they will love his word 
and the commands to them found therein. According to 1 John. Now go back to the text. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Second part of it, starting there. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So let me just ask you a question. So what is it that gives the Christian victory over the world? What is it that enables them and motivates them to live in obedience to God in spite of the disobedient and sinful attitudes of the surrounding world and its disdain and contempt for God's commands? What enables them? What motivates them to rise above this? It is their faith. Their faith in what? In themselves? In their abilities? In their morality? In their religious upbringing? In their family heritage? In their education? No, beloved. It is their faith or trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what the text says. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one? This is the one who overcomes. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The overcomer, the commandment keeper, the one who remains devoted to God, the one who perseveres in loving God the Father and His children is the one the very same one who has placed their faith or confidence in Jesus as the Son of God and as their personal Lord and Savior. They alone, beloved, are able to gain a true victory over this evil world and its sinful mindset that is so devastating and destructive to humanity. One writer says this, The victory assures us that we too can love God and the children of God and that we too can obey His commands. Belief, love, and obedience are the marks of the new birth, of being born again, of being a true Christian. And the life lived in the new birth is not a burden but it is a life of celebration. Or at least it should be. Here's the bottom line. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ are those who overcome this world and that includes the fact that they are freed from sin's stranglehold. And power through Christ's sacrifice. And they are made able and eager by God to keep and obey the good and gracious commands of God. And even consider it a great joy and blessing to do that very thing. That's all God, beloved. That is a supernatural experience. There are far too many who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Far too many. Oh, you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. But instead of overcoming the world, they are totally and completely overcome by this world. They're not overcoming it. They're being overcome. They have no real interest in or track record at all of obeying God's loving and good commands that he has made to them. They don't love or care for the children of God in any tangible way. That is other Christians. They are not connected. Hear me. They are not connected with any local church. Why, why, do, why do you say that, Jeremy? 
If you're commanded to love other Christians, I said this two weeks ago, if you're commanded to love other Christians, guess where you find them? In a local church, beloved. Because a true church is made up of the people of God. Most of the New Testament letters are not written to people, they're written to local churches. This idea that you can be a believer of Jesus Christ and not be part of a body, a local body of Christ, is crazy. It has no place. You will not find it in the Word of God. They're not connected with any local church. They don't feel compelled at all to really be involved with the body of Christ. Listen, I hear this sometimes. People go to local churches, right, and they have a super bad experience. That happens. Bad. They are mistreated. And so they are cautious now. I get that. But even that person should have a desire to find a local body of Christ. They would keep looking, keep seeking until they find that place that they can call home where they can love other brothers and sisters in Christ, where they can serve, where they can be a blessing and be blessed. Even in the midst of that. And these people, no track record of obedience, no desire to obey, no desire for the local church, no desire to love the body of Christ, claim to have faith in Jesus. But that really makes no sense because according to John, obedience to God and faith in Jesus are absolutely inseparable. That's the point. They're inseparable. This is not so we can stand back and go, oh, you say you have faith in Jesus? Show me your obedience. That's not what, This is for you to examine your own life. You say you have faith in Jesus? Where's the proof of that in your life? Where's the evidence? Because if you have faith in Jesus, you'll have obedience to God. That's the point. If you love God, you'll love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, just quickly, as Christians, right? As Christians, those who are truly born again, we need to be careful not to adopt the thinking of this world. Listen, we swim in it. We live in it. It's coming to us and through us through all kinds of means and methods. We need to be careful. And when we discover, which is a grace of God when we do discover it, we should thank God when we realize, oh my goodness, I have been absorbed into this dumb, stupid, sinful world that can never satisfy me. What a moron. I'm saying that of myself, okay? Not of you. And when we realize that, we go, thank you, God, for revealing how dumb I am. How I have let sin come into my life and rule and reign. And we repent. So even for the Christian, we can adopt. We may not give ourselves to it fully. We won't. But we can adopt the thinking of the world. We can begin to not love God anymore because that's what happens when you love the world. Your love for God goes bye-bye. You don't love the word. You don't care about the church. You don't care about other Christians. Why? Because the world hates all that. So when you adopt the world, that's exactly what happens. And when you realize that, and sometimes it's another brother or sister in Christ that comes alongside you and says, hey, I want to tell you something. I think you're, I think you're buying into the world a little too much. You are thankful and you say, Lord, forgive me. I have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I repent. I turn from that. I turn back to you. Fill me, God, with love for you, love for your people, love for your word, that I might live real life. One writer says, worldly thinking tells us that it is not in our best interest. Listen, this is what worldly thinking tells us. This is what sinful thinking tells us. How many times when I read this, Think about how many times these thoughts have ran through your mind. They have ran through mine. Think about how many times they've ran through yours. Worldly thinking tells us that it is not in our best interest and for ultimate good that we obey God's word. But the truth is, and this is the truth, that God wants only the very best for us. That's the truth. And the world says, Forget that. It's all foolishness. We don't want anything to do with that. It's just a burden. A burden we cannot and do not want to bear. And yet the Christian overcomes. As we've seen from this text, biblical faith, love, and obedience are all inseparable for the genuine Christian. They are so closely linked that they are impossible to consider separately. 
It is indeed this truth, beloved, that explains why Christians, authentic Christians, are able to overcome or prevail in a world that seems and is polluted with hate and ultimately content and happy to live in disobedience to God, their Creator, who only wants the very best for them. Thanks be to God for the great salvation that we have, if we are Christians, in Jesus Christ, that gives us victory over this messy and broken world that we temporarily are dwelling in. Let's pray. Father God, we we are so thankful for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Not just a future victory, although it certainly includes that, Father. Knowing that we are forever forgiven because of Jesus Christ. We will never bear any shame. We will not come under your condemnation. We will live with you and for you forever. Because Jesus Christ has overcame. And because of our faith in him, we now have become overcomers. Not only in the future, but here and now. Father, you enable us to live for you. And that is a blessed and joyous thing if we're thinking rightly. Because when we live for you, that is when we find true satisfaction. Real joy. Permanent peace. When we give ourselves to you and not to our sin Or to this world that absolutely hates you and despises you. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for grace and mercy. We thank you for the salvation that has truly set us free. And given us true hope. Father, for those that are here that do not know Jesus Christ in a real and sincere way. They don't have a relationship with you, Father. Because they have not submitted themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not truly asked Him to rescue them, to save them. They have not placed their faith and hope and confidence in Him alone. They have no relationship with you, Father. And because of that, your commandments are a burden. They really have no hope. From one time to another, this world does overcome them. It owns them. They give themselves to it. And because of that, Their lives are a mess. Father, save them. In your power, even now, convict them in their hearts, Father. Help them see that they don't really have a relationship with you. They may have said they have. They may have even convinced themselves that they have. But none of the things that we've just talked about are really true in any way, in any measurable way of their lives. And may they see they don't have a relationship with you. And may they not stop there, but may they cry out to you through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, who willingly and lovingly laid himself down, hung himself on a cross, That they could be made right with you, God. That they could be forgiven of their sins. Might they place all of their faith, all of their confidence, all of their hope, all of their trust completely and fully in Jesus Christ, your Son, as their Savior and their Lord. And you promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord in that way, they shall be saved. They will be born again. And God, you will enter in to their lives sending your spirit to indwell them and empower them to live for you and overcome this world. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.